Do you know the Truck Show podcast theme? She was singing it. She's going to clam up now. Watch this. We're going to put her on the spot. How's the truck show go? Show the truck show the truck show at home. Yeah! Good job, Hannah. High five. Are we your favorite podcast? Yes. Perfect. Oh, that's that's outstanding. That's awesome. And how old is Hannah? She's going to lick the microphone any second. I can feel (laughs) it. Um, How old are you? Are you four? Three. Three. Our youngest fan. I think you're right. All right, let's play the intro. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck. Because truck rides with The Truck Show. We have the lifted. We have the lowered and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that The Truck Show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. Hey, that's us again. Hey, we made it back for another episode. Thanks, everybody. I'm excited to be here. Episode number five of The Truck Show. Remember, you can hit us up on social media at Truck Show Podcast. Find us anywhere. Facebook, Instagram, and on Facebook. What did I say? Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to add Twitter, but you don't like Twitter. So then you basically just were going to say Facebook again. I I was going to do it. Why do I hate Twitter so much? I'm with you. Twitter Twitter and Snap are like in a race for the ones I hate the most. Yeah. I don't know why that is. (laughs) Yeah. Is it because I'm getting older and I just. You're definitely getting older. Yeah. Well, don't. I mean, we both have a little bit of gray coming in. Yeah. I've got a lot of gray in my beard. No no gray on our heads, just in our our, our goatees and our beards. It's weird. Super strange. Yeah. So our first guest is Matt Felderman, correct? From uh, AEV Conversions. AEV Conversions. You got to enunciate when you're on the mic. American Expedition Vehicles. That might be too much. Okay. Okay. Yeah. AEV. AEV. Awesome company. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. Uh, And then we've. You know, we had Fred Williams on a couple episodes ago from Dirt Every Day. And by the way, so when he was on, when Fred Williams from Dirt Every Day was on, I said, oh, you're my new hero on the Honda. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. You, I love Fred Williams and I love Dirt Every Day. Yeah, he it's is awesome. He is so likable. He is so, he is the real deal. And if you're listening to me right now, it's worth whatever. I think it's like three bucks a month or something. Right now, there's a special going on. So. Okay. It's the Motor Trend app. You can yeah. go to MotorTrend.com. Or MotorTrend.com. Exactly. You can yep. watch it there or you can download the app for your phone, which yep. I have, because I'll watch it at night after the wife's yep. fallen asleep, whatever. And there are a lot of shows. You can watch uh, you know, Aaron Kaufman's new show. You can see Diesel Brothers, all that stuff. This show is so authentic and yep. he's so real and he's no BS and... It's a family show. We talked to him. He's like, yeah. you know, I did. Someone asked me not to say ass. I, I say, say but now, yeah. right? For so little kids could watch. Uh, but he's he's funny. It's entertaining. It's really informative, and it flies by like an yeah. hour episode. Yeah. It hauls ass, dare I say. So so going off that, one of the shows. So basically, Dirty Every Day was a spinoff of Roadkill, which was like the first show that was from that. You know our efforts to get into that video space that really took off. And so a lot of you had great response to Fred being on, and we had quite a few emails where people said, hey, can you get David Freiberger on? David Freiberger from Roadkill is going to be on our show tonight. That's great. Anyway, I'm sorry. Now I'm just pouring on. I, th- I think I would really like you guys listening to watch Dirt Every Day yeah. if you are into off-road. I yeah. think you'll really enjoy it. Enough said. We also have my friend Chris Payne on. Uh, he is known as Truck Guru, kind of in the inside circles here of the truck world. And he is going to tell you how to 
and how not to go about getting a sponsorship for your truck. Yeah. And he's seen all of it. He will have, dare I say, 18 builds at SEMA this year. That's crazy. <laughs> is, well, it, for anybody who knows, we talked about SEMA in the last episode or a few episodes ago about what SEMA is, mm-hmm. but it's two, 18 is huge. One build is huge. 18 is like uh, unbelievable. It's so. out of control. Well, we'll get into that with him in a yeah. little bit. Let's, I let's, have so many questions yeah. for, for, for Chris. Yeah. So our first guest, let's get Matt on the phone. All right. Hello, this is Matt. Hey, Matt. Matt. Lightning and Holman from the Truck Show Podcast. <laughs> What's going on, man? Well, we uh, we got to play your intro first, and then we'll, we'll get back to you. All right. We apologize in advance. Welcome to the parts department. Screw, nut, filter, oil, grill, tools, wheels, tires, brakes, lights, gears, belts, and your wife warns you not to... And then you'll want to come back. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? <laughs> Not much. How are you doing? Well, see, here's the thing is uh, Matt works for a company called AV, American Expedition Vehicles, and they sell a lot of stuff that when your uh, intro says your wife will be mad at you and don't spend your... Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's where you send all your money because they do some incredible stuff over there. And the thing is, they're high-quality parts, and they're not the cheapest on the market. No. And so the wife's especially <laughs> not understanding. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So uh, I just saw you last week at uh, Moab Easter Jeep Safari, and uh, obviously yep. uh, AV got their start in the Jeep market, but you guys are so much more than that now. If you want to give us a little... You know, a little background on uh, on AV and where you guys are now. Absolutely, our uh, our focus has always been um, cheap. You know, when the company started in 1997, it basically started you know with the owner Dave Harridan stretching Wranglers out in Montana by himself in a one man garage. You know, that caught people's attention, and you know they started ordering Jeeps from him and having him uh, you know stretch their Wranglers, and it kind of just exploded from there. Then in 2006, we opened up our manufacturing facilities in uh, Michigan. Really, from there, we we continued to manufacture a complete line of Wrangler parts and accessories, turnkey conversion packages. Recently, about four years ago, we expanded into Ram trucks, heavy duty first, and most recently with the 1500. So, Matt, uh, this is Lightning speaking. Dave started off right out of college, or still in college, correct? With his, what did he have, a 91 YJ, is that right? Yes, and he was still in college when he stretched that. And and that just, and, and, and then it turned into, a, he became entrepreneurial and said, I maybe I can actually make money of this. And he went from like a, what, a, a small, really small shop, and it was a big deal when they moved into a 2,000 square foot shop, right? <laughs> yeah. This is not like Fabtech <laughs> yeah. with a 30,000 square foot shot or whatever. His big deal was like a 2,000 square foot shop. And then it just grew over time as you guys took on more and more builds. And it really is, your story is, Dave's story is like the American dream, like real deal, American-made yeah, parts. Self-made. Yeah. Self. And so, Matt, how did that happen exactly? Because you guys are doing your own thing in Missoula, Montana, making all types of Jeep products, and then somehow you find yourself working hand-in-hand with Jeep, with the OEs. How does how does that even happen? Yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, I think a lot of that started with, you know, a lot of the relationships that Dave built early on. And, um, yeah, really, it's a lot of it just has to do with networking. You know, when Dave decided to open up shop out here in, in uh, Michigan, he brought on the help of two partners. So 
so um, he had two business partners come on, and they were very well connected in the automotive um, industry here in Michigan. And really, it just, you know, we got our products in front of the right people. They they saw the quality and the fit and the engineering that was put into it, and, you know, they were impressed. For us, that's really what um, helped us earn our reputation. I think what solidified it with the enthusiasts is, you know, you guys came out with a ton of TJ parts, which is the 97 to 06 Wrangler. But you guys created the Brute Conversion, which was basically a single cab pickup truck out of the Wrangler. So the truck everybody wanted, the Wrangler everybody wanted, that Jeep wouldn't make, you guys went out and made the Brute, and it became a huge deal because there was nobody doing anything like that in that space, especially turnkey with OE quality. Yeah, I think really really the thing that sets us apart is when we, when we got into manufacturing, we also introduced into the aftermarket you know, steel stamping. So we were the first company to do a, st- a stamp steel bumper and a stamp steel hood, but also. Well, what were they, you know, what, Matt? What were they doing before that? Sheet metal. What were they doing before that? Just tubular and stuff like that, or and what? fab and fab well, panels every, and stuff. Yeah, your traditional press brake manufacturing ah. you know, for bumpers, which, which, which there's nothing wrong with that, but you can achieve so much different aesthetic appeal with a stamped bumper and cut down on weight. And so what is the, what's the part right now? Well, I should say, what's the first part that set AEV apart from everything else, from, from all the competition? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, certainly our JK front bumper was groundbreaking in the fact that it was the first stamped steel bumper out there in the aftermarket for the Wrangler. But I would say really what wowed people are our suspension systems. Our dual sport suspension systems for the JK really... That raised the bar as far as aftermarket suspensions go. You know, it's it's very easy to make a suspension perform well off-road. It's a completely different story to make it perform better than factory on-road. You guys worked with Bill Stein and actually had the OE ride engineers help tune that suspension. So even though it was an aftermarket, you had access to the right people to make sure that that vehicle really performed and, and rode and handled a lot like something you would get from the Jeep dealer, except the difference was you were lifted on 35, 37-inch tires and basically giving an OE quality handling experience at in, in the aftermarket. Yeah, and, you know, some of our engineers, you know, came from Chrysler from the vehicle dynamics division. So Well, that's not fair. You know, <laughs> that's just not fair. <laughs> so so we, we, we adopted that methodology to suspension engineering and modeled our... Um, aftermarket suspensions off of the same theories and engineering principles that the OEMs, you know, use when they're developing suspensions. Obviously, Brute, the second version was a JK-based Brute. So that's the 07 to 17, or actually 18, because they still make the JK. Uh, You guys made a double cab Brute, and that was the second generation. So you guys easily parlayed into trucks, no problem. Not only were you doing second-generation brute double cabs, which were amazing, by the way. It was like the dream vehicle for so, a lot of Jeep owners. Well, let, me, let me pause you right there for a second. So how many of those did you make for production, meaning there were limited production, but you were selling them, right, because it was a demand? If you had to guess, how many, yeah. many brute-like vehicles were you selling? I would say over the course of the five-year production run, we probably built maybe between 1,000 and 1,100 units. Oh, total. my Lord. That's yeah. way more than I thought because – a lot of guys will just make five and go, oh, oh yeah, no. you know, we were like. No, they, they have, they were had dealers selling them off the dealer lot. And the other thing AEV's done is, you know, AV conversions, right? They were able to do hemi swaps into the Wrangler. So both the Wrangler and the Brute, you could have a basically a V8 solid axle midsize crew cab pickup truck. And 
nobody's doing that. The the OE wouldn't do that. And so now Jeep's actually building that vehicle coming out next year as the JT Scrambler. And you know, AEV's been doing it for two generations now, which is which is awesome. And how did that? So you guys were the first to do to drop the Hemi in a in a Jeep, correct? I mean, officially, like uh, production I, level. I yeah, I, I would I can't confirm if we were definitely the first to do it, but we were the first to do it in a way that everything worked the way it should. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. There's a lot of lot of backyard engine swaps, but uh, well, and the fact that they yeah, have a lot of OE engineers, you weren't giving up right. You weren't giving up air conditioning or power steering or cruise control. Everything worked the way it should. Ah, who needs any <laughs> of that stuff? No lights yeah. on the right. dash. I mean, everything. <laughs> so let's talk about you guys took that you know experience on the Jeep side. And you moved into Ram Heavy Duty and into uh, Ram, most recently, the Ram 1500 with some killer kits. And I think part of what made that really successful was the Ram 2500 coming with coil spring, link coils in the back. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's kind of the natural evolution, right? So, you know, the TJ Wrangler to a bigger four-door JK Wrangler to an even bigger brute double cab Wrangler. Um, And now, you know, we had customers that, that needed more. So we we started with the heavy duty trucks because you look at a 2500 um, Ram truck for you you can say roughly the suspensions almost like a bigger scale version of the JK. So we're able to utilize a lot of our own you know findings with the JK suspension you know apply that to the Ram. So it, it was really a, a natural evolution. A little bit of a learning curve you know dealing with you know a heavy duty truck and all, but it was pretty easy to get a, you know, wrap our hands around. Any stumbling blocks along the way that you thought this was particularly difficult? Well, the, the biggest the biggest engineering feat for us was basically we wanted to create a truck package that would provide a low center of gravity, but all the ground clearance of a tire of a truck with big tires on it. And basically we settled on, all right, we're going to lift this truck three inches, but we're going to allow the fitment of a 40-inch tall tire on it. And that led to the creation of what we call our high mark fender flares. And that basically opens up the wheel well a lot. Yeah, you guys are able you to know, fit 40s with minimal lift on a Ram 2500 right. with solid axles, which is which is insane. Right. All the ground and, clearance of a 40-inch tire, but you're basically at the ride height of other people's lift with 37s. Correct. Correct. And they drive phenomenal on the road. What else are you doing under the wheel well to make the clearance? Like, how are you stuffing that thing under there other than just the fender flare? There's got to be more work done under there. Well, the, the fender, the wheel well opening gets opened up by about two and a half inches um, all the way around. But then part of our suspension system also moves the front axle forward. Oh. So that that larger wheel and tire now gets recentered within the larger wheel well opening, if that makes sense. So that alone gains you, you know, about an inch and a half of backside tire clearance. So you're basically moving the back of the tire away from the A-pillar structure. So most trucks, when you lift Correct. them, you put in a bigger wheel and tire package, you're limited by where the firewall is, where that A-pillar comes down. So what AEV's done is they've extended the wheelbase slightly by moving that front axle forward, and now they can fit a bigger tire without having any interference issues with that firewall. And so that's You're sort of looking right into my eyes like I'm a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I was actually looking into your eyes lovingly. <laughs> no, you were not. He's like, I can tell lightning's glazing over right now. He doesn't understand this. Let me explain this, young man. Is that my voice? Is that No, <laughs> no I do this. Uh, this is like the old, the, the wizard guy explaining suspension. No, I was explaining to, to our, our new listeners out there. <laughs> I was just looking at you because you're, you know, you're here. <laughs> One of the things that's really exciting for me that to watch you guys grow over the years, obviously the Jeep market excites me and what you've done with the Brute and the Brute double cab and then moving on to the Ram is cool. 
But let's talk about SEMA this year because you guys have always been with Jeep and Ram, always been in that FCA world. And now FCA, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles. So they're the owner of, of, of Ram and Jeep, basically. So what, what AEV did was pretty incredible to me. They actually partnered with a different manufacturer to come out with something really cool. So, Matt, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So what we did is, uh, you know, we were approached by the folks over at GM and they basically wanted to, well, earlier this year, um, they, they released the, the ZR2 um, Colorado. And that's really like their first legit enthusiast package truck um, that actually works good and has, you know, good equipment on it. So they basically wanted to see how far, how far that enthusiast market reaches. So they wanted to do, you know, a cool SEMA concept. But we caught their attention, you know, with our Ram trucks and how we were building them and how, you know, our aesthetic was OEM, but aftermarket at the same time. And they wanted to kind of adopt that into their SEMA build. So they came to us and basically, you know, let us kind of tell them what it should be. And, you know, we, we found a middle ground between what we wanted and they wanted and, you know, put this together. Yeah. And let's talk about, you know, the base vehicle, right? So it's a Chevy Colorado ZR2, already has some pretty decent suspension on it, in need of yep. a little bit more tire, which the concept had on it. But you're basically, yep. it's the only mid-sized truck out right now that has a diesel. For, so for those overland or adventure crowd, you want a diesel because you get great range out of it. So AEV started with this great base vehicle in the crew cab Colorado ZR2 Duramax diesel, and then they added to it, and they added racks and bumpers and winches and all the things that you'd expect from them, but they did it in such a clean OE way that hasn't ever really been done on the GM side of the house. And they brought all that expertise from the FCA side to GM. So it was really cool to see a Chevy concept you know, with a, a partnership with AEV because we already know what they can bring to the table. Was it hard? Did you have to restrain yourselves from doing something more exotic? Or is it in your, is it in your DNA to do something that's conservative and strong? It, it's, it's firmly rooted in our DNA to you know, let function drive the design. So, you know, even though this was a SEMA concept vehicle, we still approached it as if this is something that AV would put their name on as far as functionality. That was a little bit of an education process to GM, you know, because they're coming from a different direction than we are. And we're telling them, look, this is, if you want this to be the real deal, here's how you have to do it. And, you know, we would teach them why. And it was really cool. It was humbling almost to be sitting in a room with, you know, 10 GM executives and they're all listening to, you know, three or four of us from this little company, <laughs> you know, kind of tell them how to design a vehicle. And and it was just really cool because they they were so receptive to what we had to say. What was that meeting like? I'm curious. Like, <laughs> were you in the big glass GM tower that we see on TV? The spotlights on no, you. They, they were... dim the they dim the room lights, so it's like you're sweating. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to say about yourself? Oh, uh, hey, man? hey, lightning. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like jail. We're talking about car company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to no, draw the story that, out of him. It wasn't that intimidating. <laughs> uh, I will tell you that talking to um, a lot of the people at General Motors on the Chevy side prior to SEMA, they had actually given me some access to that vehicle early and told me about it. And what was amazing was how excited they were. So to hear Matt talk about the other side of the fence, and I know the excitement that the GM guys had, that's pretty cool. That's interesting. That's really yeah. cool. And I'm kind of curious, yeah, Matt, what, what, was, um, what was the response been from the customer base with you guys entering that Chevy side of the, the market? And 
you know, it was a big deal for us. I'm curious if you guys have seen the same response from from your customers. It was well received, but of course, then it opened the floodgate for, well, are you going to do anything for Super Duty? Are you going to do anything for Tacoma? <laughs> right. You know, so, and are you? Yeah. <laughs> Here first on the Truck Show podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to. Uh, unfortunately, right now we're up to our eyeballs trying to develop parts for the JL. Um, that's priority number one for us right now. Now, let me, okay, so I'm glad you brought that up. I feel like you're going to have a lot of competition. Based on what I heard from Holman, who was there in uh, in Utah, Moab, and all the JLs were there. I think every JL they've made so far was in Moab. Right? Pretty much. But, but yep. it sounded like every company that makes parts for anything off-road is making, they're going to seize this opportunity. So how do you fit into that mix? Yeah. How, what's the differentiator? Well, we have to be patient. So you're never going to see AEV first to market on anything. Um, You know, yes, out of EJS, there were tons of lifted JLs out there. And I cannot understand how anyone can truly develop a complete suspension in in a month for a vehicle. It takes us, you know, six months to a year to develop one of our suspension systems with all the testing, the proving out. You know, the I the think that we I think we just answer. answered the question there is that there's not the testing, right? Well, I no, mean, other companies do do the testing. They do the FMVSS yeah. and, and all that. But I think what Matt's saying is the refinement that goes into basically doing a quick suspension, which some companies will do, which works, but doesn't have the refinement, right? So AV is going to tune in the durometer of the bushings and things like that and the size of the sway yeah. bar. And they're going to make sure that it's they, they take a holistic approach to the vehicle because they want it to be a similar to stock with upgraded performance as possible, where other companies might say, "Hey, we're all about the performance, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna sacrifice some other areas." AV takes their time to not sacrifice in those areas, and it just depends what you want. I mean, there's some guys that are fine with all their shocks in arms being on heim joints, and it's gonna click and rattle and all that. You'll never get an AV AV vehicle that is creaky and rattly and, and all that. It's it's. They take that right. extra effort to go after the OE customer. And Matt, will you, if you develop a part, a suspension component or whatever it's going to be, will you put it on a, a vehicle and then live with it for nine months to see how it works out in the long term? Real quick, there's a great story about that. Um, the high mark flares, going back to the heavy duty Ram, the high mark flares allow the 40 inch tires to fit. So we we were testing those on vehicles for. I'd say close to 10 months prior to launching them. And we made a trip up to the Arctic Circle from Montana all the way up to the Arctic Circle and out to the Arctic Ocean, basically. And on during that test, we found that in that extreme cold, it was actually causing the flares to deform. And it was you could see it in the sheet metal because oh. those flares were actually buckling the sheet metal. We would have never known that unless we subjected these vehicles to negative 30 degrees or whatever it was up there. Um, so then we came back, we went to a thermal expansion chamber and figured out the hot and cold, you know, limitations of those flares and corrected it. But that alone is why we do that. You know, little things like that, you would never know unless you experience it. I mean, you could should just put a sticker right on that says, don't operate in cold weather. You know what I mean? Well, and, a lot of co- and a lot of companies would, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a, a lot of companies would do that and say, well, you know, for example, I know there's companies out Sir, there. Sir, if who, it's chilly outside, yeah. we advise you to not don't, use our uh, don't drive. Know, flares. Right. Well, you know, in, in a lot of companies, they may not have the best coating. So the shocks in like the rust belt where there's salt on the roads may look bad over time. Well, you know, AV makes sure that they work with uh, Bill Stein on their shocks and they have the coating that they would use in an OE application that can survive the salt spray. I mean, it's all those little things that really add up and one of the reasons I'm a big fan of AEV. No, people people appreciate that. There's there's no question, especially Jeep owners. They, 
you know, they're not just, they're not, these are not mall crawlers. These are guys who really use the vehicles. Yeah, and I absolutely. think a lot of them will be patient and wait for the quality merchandise to come out and, and, and they'll pay for it, you know, it's cause it's worth it. And it's, it's American made. There's a lot of thought yeah. and effort into it. A lot of passion behind AEV. A lot of good so. people over there too. I mean, we, we had dinner with the AEV crew out in Moab and it's a great, it's a great group of people. Just, you just wanted to name drop, didn't you? We had dinner with you. So <laughs> you're always like, oh yeah, I was having drinks the other night with so-and-so. <laughs> well, hey Matt, next time, next time uh, you and I have a beer, we'll make sure lightning doesn't come well, how about That's that just, don't be a yeah. dick yeah. <laughs> and lightning lightning when we're off air i'll tell you some stories from that night that's ah. exactly what i'm talking about my which friend. is why he won't be coming exactly <laughs> what i'm talking about all right matt felderman from aev conversions by the way it's aev-conversions.com hit him up on the web matt you're the man thanks so much thanks man appreciate it thanks guys all right i'll talk right, to you here. soon talk to you send your home in you ready for the inbox let's do it yeah you email yeah No, I'm just jamming out. It's good. Ooh, ooh. People don't like our intros, do they? Uh, we got some hate <laughs> mail. <laughs> but you know, it's funny because it's literally like four to one. I was enjoying that, but four to one, like, like to yeah, hate? Yeah, yeah. No, no, like it. Like yeah, it yeah, to like, not like, like it. To, yeah. Listen, people, here's the thing. It can't be all serious. And the, yeah, and the longest intro we have is 20 seconds. You can't, you're listening to an hour long podcast. You can't deal with 20 seconds <laughs> yeah. of, of like, we know they're ridiculous. That's part of the point. Yeah, I feel like having fun. We are having fun. I'm having fun. I enjoy them. They're staying sorry. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Here's, here's a perfect example. We have one of the uh, reviews on iTunes. Awesome show, bit over the top at times of the intros, but they do make me laugh. Five stars. <laughs> so, you know, hey. You know, thank you for uh, Joe Z six zero four two one. So we got email. Uh, you want me to start? Or you want to start? Yeah, you go for it. All right. So this one is from Raf, and it says, uh, "Hello, TTS crew. Please bear with me as I try to formulate my thoughts and questions. Feel free to break this up into segments if needed. I'm just gonna this. Wow, look at this email. That's a great email. That may be the longest one we've gotten to date. Holy moly! Okay, yeah. I'm gonna read just a couple of sections here." Lightning, you are a true inspiration to middle-aged men <laughs> such as me that can someday hope to fulfill our dreams and pivot careers to follow your, our passion into the automotive world. Can you give me a little insight? Did it affect you financially? Any family concerns? And did you make the first move with the uncertainty of K-Rock these days? Or did banks? Uh, okay, so, wow, I'm going to have to give some backstory on that. Yeah, I yeah. Was there's with, definitely backstory that should come yeah, with that. Yeah, okay, so this seems like Raph was probably a fan of ours from the world-famous K-Rock. Yep. That is a rock radio station in Los Angeles where I spent the last almost 26 years. 106.7 FM. It is, yeah, 106.7. It's a huge rock station. Could be the most influential rock station, in, in, maybe in the world, I, for that matter. And I produced the Kevin and Bean show for probably 15 years. Which is the morning show years. that was been around correct, for correct. decades. A lot of, lot of fans. And so... Um, this year I left radio and I got an automotive and I went to go work for Gail Banks, a yep. legend. And it was a huge, it was a huge leap for me. And I have been a fan of the automotive industry since, I don't know, forever, since I was a very small child. My, my parents collected cars. My grandfather collected and I mean, I'd French see you cars. at SEMA every year. You know, if we wouldn't see each other during the year, I, I'd see you at the SEMA show. I spend my own money and I go in as press and have, yeah. I've been very, very fortunate 
to have snuck in as press all these years. Right. And um, and I, I do cover it. I write stories and video and all that stuff. But uh, making the leap in automotive was scary. I'm not going to lie, dude. It, like it was, it was frightening to me and my family. And financially, it wasn't a huge deal because I was I'm lucky enough to go into into a company that is financially very stable. Uh, Banks Power and Gail Banks they run an incredible operation. He's been around this in his, he's in his 60th year in business. And, and by the so, way, in the interest of full disclosure, yeah. we started launching this podcast. We started talking about like last November, and so. I'm fully in K-Rock at this point. Yeah. At that point. When we yeah. start talking about it, yep. I was involved in, in the host of another podcast called The B-Team. Yep. And I won't bore you guys with those details. But um, So I went from one podcast to another. We started this one, and I was still at the radio station. And then I took you, Holman, along for the ride. You know, yep. you knew kind of every step of the way. And I made this transition. And you have been in automotive since since we met, maybe yeah. you know, way long. forever. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, forever. And I was, uh, I, I was scared, but I, they, like you said, so everyone says, and I always say this to, I've been saying this to other people is don't make your hobby, your, your, you know, your, your livelihood. Don't, don't. And, and I, and then I thought, well, why not? Right. Because I've enjoyed radio. I've had, I don't like the term, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I don't like when all the blessed up, bro. Yeah, I'm blessed up. <laughs> like, but, but honestly, but you are, this does apply here yeah, because yeah. now I made my own road and then yeah. I drove down it. Right. Uh, but I have been very fortunate. And listen, radio is just like print media and we've had to evolve. You had to oh, evolve in radio. Lord, yes. And, and as media has changed the landscape with social and all the other things going on, we've had to reinvent ourselves time and time again. And, and honestly, in the magazine world, I've had to reinvent myself. Hell, I'm doing a podcast now when I was, you know, I started 15 years ago or more when we we're looking at film and loops on light tables and you know you think of all the craziness <laughs> yeah. you went through all digital yeah. yeah and you went through trials and tribulations on the radio that you're just going through another part of reinventing yourself for the next chapter and, but this guy i think raf is asking was it scary how did you get yeah. the balls to do it and to be honest with you um I just, I just did it. It was the I, next I, thing to do for you, though. It was the next thing to do, and it was scary. Yeah. And I was really comfortable at the radio station. I had yeah. done every single job there was to do at the radio station except the program director. Yep. And that guy's not going to leave. Right. And I love him, yeah. and I wasn't going to steal his job. Not, I wasn't <laughs> given the job. to. Right. But um, So I, I had to make a decision. Was I going to move to Detroit? Was I going to go to Austin and go be a program director somewhere or produce a morning show and I wasn't willing to make that move. I love Southern California, love traveling, but this is where I like to live. Yeah. And um, and I became friends with Gail Banks and we he created an opportunity for me there and I couldn't I couldn't not take it. And this it. is a long-term relationship. It's oh, not like you became friends with so, him last so, month, well, right? Well, here's how it happened. Yeah. I, built a, I built a SEMA vehicle for K-Rock. Yep. I built a huge Rock lift, crusher. lifted dually. They became pretty famous in Southern California here. And and I started touring this thing around. And then I and I started hanging out with a dude. I started hanging out with, with Gail, and he I couldn't get enough of what he was doing. Yeah. And that's just how it happened. So I was very fortunate uh, I didn't just jump off a bridge like I, I did, but he was waiting with like those, <laughs> you know all the kids get in a circle and they have a parachute yeah, and right? they start bouncing. Like yeah. it was a soft landing, so I was very fortunate in that regard. So here so, we are, uh, yeah, here I mean, we are. We're, we're we, doing we, truck we, podcast. We got we got the truck show podcast, yeah. and uh, I, I'm and I'm blessed, <laughs> blessed up. And yeah, so right. the other one was number five. Uh, this is going to be you can help me on yeah. this one. 
Uh, Raph, uh, Raph says, I own a 2001 Ford Sport Track truck. It's basically a four-door Ranger. It has the same 4.0 V6 motor and an, uh, a 5R 55E transmission. My transmission, though, is currently getting rebuilt after 300,000 miles. Oh, wow. But I don't know um, if it's been done before. What is your opinion on this motor and transmission? My wife and I love the truck. It's just the right size, and I don't have a payment. I hear horror stories about the two timing belt design on the motor and the transmission gears being made out of glass, but there <laughs> have to be a billion Rangers still running around oh, Southern yeah. California. Can it really be that bad? You know, it's not. And obviously, you got 300,000 miles of it. If you love it and there's no payments and you're always spending the money to rebuild the trans, keep driving it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that platform, that four liter uh, single overhead cam uh, V6. It's a great engine. They had some, uh, I believe, some timing chain guides issue guide issues. Um, but those were in early production. As as the years went on, all that stuff was fixed. So I don't think that there were any issues at all. I mean, if you love it, it's working for you, roll with it. Jonathan Lewis uh, actually wrote us on Facebook. And uh, funny, we are talking about my DMV story and how I had to stay at the DMV, and we asked for some DMV stories. Uh, you'll all be happy to know that Lightning's a liar. Um, I went to the Long Beach DMV because online it said the wait was uh, non-appointment five minutes. Hauled butt down there. Wait a minute. No, I've never heard non-appointment. Right. No, no, no. Wait. I had an appointment, bro. I know, but you told me, go to Long Beach DMV, yeah. in and out super quick. With an appointment. So I looked at all my local DMVs. Yes. Long Beach wasn't too far away. Right. Five minutes without an appointment or whatever it was. I hauled down there. So here's the trick that the California DMV does for you. It's a line around the building that takes an hour. Once you get in and do that, then it's five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I got I got my legitimate California driver's license, the uh, the real ID. We were talking about this a few a few weeks ago. But I have to tell you, the DMV is the great equalizer. I don't care who you are, if you're a celebrity, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're you know whatever race, it doesn't matter. Everybody deals with the same crappy people at the DMV. And they're all the same. Yeah, they are. Although I will say that recently with um I gotta say, I go to AAA whenever. It's, oh, whenever. always! You gotta always. go to AAA. AAA if you, if awesome. you haven't been using AAA go for, do like, it. for your license yeah. plates or registration, yeah. it's yeah. going to open your eyes. You're going to freak out. It is worth every. Yeah. Penny. There are some things they can't do, it, which they, is this dude, example. They won't do UTVs. Right. Um, they won't do driver's licenses. They won't. Do, they, won't they can't do driver's licenses. Right. But anything registration yeah. wise, and plates, the, the personalized plates through DMV, uh, through a AAA, not the DMV is awesome. Yeah. I'll have to tell you, the lady looks at my my license. She goes, "You you just renewed this two weeks ago." I said, I know you sent, you gave me the wrong one. I need the real ID. And she looks at me. She, you know, I've got this big beard and stuff. She goes, Wait, she had a beard? No, I did. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> she, she had a little bit of mustache. Okay. But she looked at me. She goes, You just want to buy guns. And I looked at her and I go, Duh. <laughs> so, wow. anyway, got, got my driver's license, went to the great equalizer that is the DMV. But anyway, back to Jonathan's uh, email here. He says, I went to the DMV for personalized plates. I wanted my Instagram handle, Mafia John but had to settle for Mafia 89. I paid the 50. When they finally came, it read Maria 89. Failed, needless to say, I never kept them. <laughs> so uh, if you want to find uh, Jonathan uh, on Instagram, don't go looking for Maria 89. It's totally different. <laughs> uh, and he, I told him we were going to use it on the show, and he said he finished the latest episode of uh, Dirt Every... Uh, of our podcast. He's a big Dirt Everyday fan. He also says, it's cool to hear Lightning again. I still remember the time he was ripping into Beer Mug because of his black steelies on his Scion. Too funny. So he's a crossover <laughs> guy from K-Rock and the B-Team and all that. So nice. it's just awesome to get it. And then uh, we've had, uh, you'll remember this name because he, he writes us all the time and, and he's a big fan of the show, Tim Allen. 
Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, so, yes, indeed. Uh, so Tim said he's all caught up, got to listen in a while while painting the house last night. Can't wait for episode number four. He loved the first three ones. And he says he loved the 2002 Ranger Bill Stein story. He remembers seeing my truck uh, hooked up uh, in Santa Barbara. Uh, awesome to hear all the tech trail encounter stories. Made me think of so many past experiences. So Tim has been in the automotive industry in and out for a lot of years and has had some cool jobs. So anyway, it's kind of cool to see. But he says, can't write all my thoughts and comments now, but I hope to reach out again soon. So well, dude, yeah, we send, appreciate send it, Send us a question. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Send us a question yeah. or a comment, whatever. And if you love the show, please go on iTunes, on, on Google. We're now on Spotify, by the way. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. We are on, no, we're yep. not. We're on Podbean. We're on Spotify. You're looking into my eyes and you're lying. Because I am not. Here's why I know you're lying. Okay. Because you cannot apply, as a, as a podcaster, yep. you cannot apply to Spotify. They choose you. So... I filled out the online form mm-hmm. through our hosting deal, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at our analytics, and we have people on Spotify listening to our podcast. What the what? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Lightning, I'm really excited about our next guest. Yeah, who is it? A coworker of mine. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So, of course. Uh, so, yeah, we had Fred Williams from Dirt Every Day on, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of our listeners uh, hit us up and said, hey, can you get David Freiberger from Roadkill on? Yep. So I hit up David, and I said, hey, could you come on our podcast? And he was like, yeah, that sounds cool. I'm like, it does? Awesome. <laughs> you thought you, you thought you were going to get turned down. Yeah, I did. You I totally, totally did. did. Oh, 100%. He's like, nah, dude. That's, <laughs> he, there's no way that's a good show. That's what he's saying to himself. He's sort of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so let's give him a shout. Yo, the drunk show. <laughs> who dis? Who dis? Who the hell is this? A drunk show interview you don't want to miss. We talk to top dogs <laughs> in the industry. How'd you blow up? How'd you come to be? This is David. David, Lightning and Holman from the Truck Show Podcast. Hey, what's happening? Hey, how's it going? How you do? It sounds like you're busy. Are you in the middle of something? Uh, I'm actually walking away from a bunch of noise to try and get as quiet as I can. Are you leaving the Waffle House? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some pizza joint. Yeah, no worries. Where, Where are you right now? Uh, Delano, California, the garden spot of the Central Valley. Wow. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is there a garden spot of the Central Valley? <laughs> this is it. <laughs> I will tell you that any town that has garden in the name, Hawaiian it's Gardens, Garden, garden Grove. Never a garden. Never a garden. It's right, never right, good. Never. Is it, isn't New Jersey the garden state? Well, there, that's it. it right there proves my point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give uh, Freiburg a little bit of background here. So basically, uh, a couple episodes ago, we had Fred Williams on. Obviously, you know Fred really well from Dirt Every Day. And we had a bunch of readers and listeners uh, who, who emailed us and said, Hey, uh, we'd love to hear about David Freiberger and his roadkill and the trucks he's built. And I went, yeah, that would be awesome. I hope he says yes. So I appreciate you coming on. David, I'm dying to know, and I know we're on the phone. We're not, we would love to have you in studio in our, in our crappy little studio here in Santa Ana, California, but it probably won't happen anytime soon. I would love to know how, you, how did this whole thing start? How did you okay. end up on the, on, the, on the little screen? Uh, well, convoluted story i mean i was the editor of hot rod magazine and the company was interested in getting videos started and myself and mike finnegan who was a staffer on the magazine at the time just started doing them and at that same time youtube decided that they wanted to go in competition with cable tv and they went to a hundred different content makers and gave them money to create original programming just for youtube and our company was one of them and so we put together a slate of programming and uh, angus mckenzie who was the editor-in-chief of Motor Trend at the time, recognized what we were doing on the Hot Rod website with our videos, like you got to make a regular series out of this. And we named it Roadkill, and we just uh, 
wing it every episode, like, you know, 80 episodes in. That's amazing. So that's, that's 80, 80 episodes. And uh, when you were recording the first one, did you feel like uh, this is our first and our last? Um, we didn't really know what to expect. Everybody always asks, hey, did you know it was going to be a big hit? No, of course we didn't. Uh, but as it turns out, what we were doing was fairly unique because we just never fake anything and we never script anything and the stuff that we do is basically what mike and i dream up either in a phone call about a week before we start shooting or over a few beers while we're out on set and we just do what we feel like doing and i think regular gearheads just connect with it those are the best ideas the napkin ideas for whatever reason always work out better than the ones that the producers come up with so far for us it has worked (laughs) (laughs) to plan too much just turns into even more of a debacle. Like the episode I'm shooting right now, which is actually for Roadkill Garage, which is a spinoff of Roadkill. Um, it's just me and a guy named Steve Dulcich wrenching on cars. We were going to put a 455 Buick in my own 66 Buick convertible. And in our opening scene, we were driving the Buick around in its stock configuration. And we both looked at each other and go, we're only going to make this car worse by installing <laughs> any other engine than the bone stock one that's in it because the thing just cruises so sweet. And so Dulcich goes, well, what are we going to do? We planned this whole week around putting a 455 Buick in your in your." Skylark. And I said, well, we have a 66 Chevelle in the backyard. That's the exact same platform as this car. Everything I got to do the swap will work in that car. Let's put a Buick in a Chevelle. We're like, okay. <laughs> this afternoon, we did our first big smoky Hank and burnouts with it. We put threw it together awesome. in a day and a Day and a half for seven hundred and sixty bucks. We did a big block swap into our Chevelle. Well, I'm I'm glad to uh, to hear that y- y- the planning is minimal because that's totally how we do the truck show podcast. Yes, it is. Yes, it <laughs> is. And it only validates uh, how you know we, we did number one. It started over a breakfast at Norm's restaurant in Huntington Beach on a napkin, and we're now at episode five. So not quite an unqualified success, but you know if we can follow in the footsteps of uh, the great David Freiberger I, I would be happy <laughs> wing it and have no plan and you'll be a superhero on the exactly no so so you watch some of the other shows that are they're they're supposed to be unscripted and they do their best to stay unscripted but they they do have a script they have a plan and it and it and off, oftentimes you it feels like um, I don't know it, it feels disingenuous your show never feels that way do you watch the, do you watch the other shows and be like oh man you didn't have to do that or how do, you, how do you feel? I, I haven't seen them. <laughs> I, I, I don't have cable. I never have. Um, anything that I have seen of automotive shows that are not on our own network is just in hotel rooms for five or ten minutes here and there. And I don't know. Maybe that's, that's why not what you're watching in hotel rooms, by the way. Don't, don't even go there. <laughs> it, it, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, maybe that's why we've been successful is because we didn't know the format we were supposed to follow. We just did what we felt like doing. Um, And I understand why TV producers do it the way that they do it. They have to have absolute predictability on all of their budgeting and exactly what's going to happen in each act break and know that their production is going to, you know, happen in a day and a half and be done. Um, But we just don't do it that way. And I think the biggest thing that we discovered that they never could tolerate on an actual produced cable network show is that we can go ahead and fail miserably and the audience just is along with us. Yeah. There, we can build a car and never drive it a foot and go, oh, well, we just... We tried. Just- but you guys are funny and, and you're real and you know yeah. why so, it failed. So this is the beauty of, I mean, we talked about this with Fred Williams, right? Is that there's an honesty 
to those shows, to the road kills, to the dirt every day. There's an honesty and a genuineness about it that you don't get on the network shows that I think the the average enthusiast appreciates because we've all built something and failed, and and it's nice to see other people do that. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. true, but you, well, David, the other thing I was going to say that all our shows have going for us, or or maybe have going against us, is that you know, like you, Sean, we're all just old hack magazine editors. You totally, know, we're not. We haven't been cast. We're not stars. We're not polished. And we actually are just doing all the work ourselves. And I think that makes a big difference also. You know, on Roadkill and also on Dirt Every Day, every show we do, we don't have a bunch of mechanics standing behind camera waiting for us to, you know, take a break while they finish the car. We have to do all of it ourselves. True story. And I mean, I've, I've seen The Office, you know, or I've been to the shop that a lot of these things are built. And you guys are wrenching till one, two, three in the morning sometimes because that's what it takes. And there is no team behind you. It's really you guys doing it. And I think, again, it goes back to you. There's, there's a quality and a genuineness to, to what we've been able to accomplish with those types of shows that I think is why it resonates so well with the audience. And what's cool is now that we are in partnership with Discovery and now that we essentially report up to the Velocity Channel, they've been picking up some old road kills and dirt every day and airing them. And it's interesting to see the reaction their audience has. I mean, it is a different market. It is it's older guys. Yep. And it's more guys who are getting content sort of just served to them rather than people who are seeking out content. And a lot of them hate it because we're hacks. I mean, <laughs> we're not doing stuff like Dave Kindig is on, on Bitch and Rides, who does really, really nice high-end cars on TV. We're hacking stuff together, and that's a culture shock for a lot of those guys. But a lot of them also like it. Our ratings have been real solid on cable. Well, but also, David, you you know what you're doing. You, you're authentic for more than just being yourself, but... You know about the engines. You know about drivetrains. You know displacements. You know, you really, really do. You're not faking it. And you don't have to Google anything. It's all upstairs. And that comes across instantly with all the cast of all the Motor Trend shows that I've seen. You know what I really like, actually, and this is a little off the truck marketplace, but we have this new show called Junkyard Gold, which is Steve Mignante, who worked for me at Hot Rod Magazine at a time, and he's also worked for a bunch of other magazines as a freelancer. And he just walks junkyards and looks at stuff, and he's got a good presentation, but it is just junk that's in his head. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. And, and I love that show because I'm either watching it going, oh, yeah, you know, he totally nailed that, that's right, or I'm going, ooh, no, I don't <laughs> think that came out in 76. You're wrong! 77. <laughs> That's you know, like being and, in Moab with Payway, right? You know, Rick Payway, who's the Jeep yeah. guru, and, and you were the editor of Peterson's Four Wheel and Off Road back in the day, so you do have a truck and off road background. And you and Payway used to do these epic Dirt Every Day Dead tours, which is how Fred's show got his name, which Fred talked about a little bit. But, you know, walking with Payway, who probably owns, I don't know, 500 pieces of <laughs> various flat fenders and stuff, walking with oh, him yeah. in a Jeep junkyard or walking with him downtown. I mean, he will tell you that's the wrong windshield frame for that. Those are the wrong wheels. Those are different axles. And, and the you know, he knows every nut and bolt and what they're supposed to look like. And it's it's fun to be with people like that. I don't know yeah. which I don't know which cool. episode it was, David, but you were hunting through a ghost town and there was a vehicle like on the lay, laying outside this little ghost town, like out off the 15 freeway or something. And you were going, well, I don't know if this, you can tell by the badging that this car is this year. And this. I'm thinking, how well, you does know what? he know I, that? 
I actually know exactly what you're talking about. I remember that scene, and I hate myself for it because in the <laughs> final cut of that show, we roll up to it, and I go, "Oh, I think that's a '55 DeSoto." It totally isn't. That car was <laughs> and I just, I absolutely choked. But, you know, and I hate myself when I do that. But the great thing is that there is somebody out in the audience who's going, "Ooh, Freiburger just f that," up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they like that. So obviously, this is the truck show, and so what I'm curious wait, wait, about wait, before you move on, I can't let you move on here a second, David. I have to ask you about Ghost Towns. Uh, this is lightning speaking. I am infatuated with Ghost Towns, and you said on that episode that you had been to like over a hundred Ghost Towns. Is that true? And do you have a map? Because I want <laughs> no. it. You know, I've been doing those road trips throughout the desert since. Before I worked here, which would be pre-91, I've been doing them actually since the early 80s. I really, really wish that I had documented more uh. of my photography and made more maps so that I know exactly where I've been. I'll look at photos and I'll go, oh, yeah, I remember being there, but I could not tell you where it is. And that's a drag. And there are so many great ghost towns. I mean, we talked about with Shane Kassad from Bill Stein, how he and I would go out and do ghost towns. And the guys from AEV came on before David tonight. Perfect exploration rig for that kind of stuff. Death Valley, Saline Valley, Mojave, um, you know, for, all for that you stuff. Guys, for you guys that are living on the East Coast or we have listeners in Japan, Australia, yeah. the UK, whatever, ghost towns are amazing. And I think they're kind of an anomaly for the Southern California. Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, definitely California. It's old settlements that came during the gold and silver rushes right. or the, 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 the metals, the valuable precious metal rushes that blew up and then they mined everything and everybody went away. And there's these, some of these towns, Randsburg, for example, up uh, south of Ridgecrest off the uh, 395 in California, they, they had mines that were so big. The Yellow Aster Mine is what they called that one. That they had company stores. So the company would pay you Friday, but the only place to buy your room and board, your food, all that was with the company's money that they just gave you. So <laughs> everything stayed there. But eventually, yeah. when it wasn't, you know, cost, it was cost prohibitive to go mine, everybody left. And they left behind these amazing structures and history and tools and implements. It's amazing. It's so cool. So here's a fun fact to know and tell. There are more ghost town sites in Nevada than there are currently incorporated towns and cities. Wow. Whoa. I didn't know that. The thing about California, all the property was worth too much money, and every place where they found gold became an actual city, right. a.k.a. San Francisco and all the you know, places yep. around there. Well, anyway, if you're a tourist and you're coming to you're coming to California, Nevada, whatever, you, you got to seek out a, yeah. a ghost town or two. I know we're way off base yeah, here, you know, but it's cool stuff that that people appreciate. But David loves. Well, you got to have a truck to explore ghost towns. Yeah, 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 all right. So, Thank you, so you bringing us back on uh, back on topic. <laughs> uh, what I'm curious about is, <laughs> you guys, yeah. you guys have done a bunch of awesome truck builds, Stubby Bob, the muscle truck. I'm kind of curious, and I, I sort of asked Fred the same question: Which one was your favorite, and which one were the, was the one that when you were finished, you kind of patted yourself on the back because you didn't think it would turn out as good as it did, and it ended up being one that you were really proud of. Well, we've done a whole bunch of trucks, actually, and especially on the Roadkill Garage spinoff. We build them all the time. We just put a 630-horsepower big block in a 67 C10 long bed the other day. Because why not? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we've done a whole bunch of other pickups. We've got the Mopar muscle truck, the Ford muscle truck, uh, and we've done 4x4s uh, to death. You know, I did an episode with Payway with a flat fender. We've done my Scrambler on 42s. What's the new what, what's David? What's the new episode that just went up like this last week? Where you you I brought the truck no down? To, you just brought the truck down to frame rails, and you you're like, and you gave oh. us the history on the rail. You're like, oh, okay, they used to call dragsters. All right, that's, oh, that's right. The worst. Okay, <laughs> my mind is moving much faster than my mouth. Um, so to address your question, like, what was my favorite? And- you know what turned out great and everything what you just brought up the ugly truckling is probably the <laughs> bad idea that i've had oh. um 
So what happened was I'm sitting around going, you know, back in the 50s when the guys wanted to go drag racing and go fast, all they did is they bought a production car and they removed everything they didn't need. They, you know, sliced off everything that wasn't a race car. And that's how the expression rail came to be for a dragster. They ran nothing but frame rails and an engine and a transmission rear end wheels and tires. Which I learned so, from you on that show. <laughs> there you go. And so that's what we did with, I think it was a, I'm going to go 88, uh, you know, old body style crew cab, uh, single rear wheel truck. And we didn't intend to get the crew cab. I thought we were going to end up with a, a three-quarter ton. And the reason I wanted to do that is because it already has a 454 and either a turbo 400 or 4L80 and a 14 bolt. In other words, all unbreakable stuff. But we end up with this crew cab. And when we tear the whole body off of it, I realized, hey, wait a minute, instead of shortening the frame on this thing, let's put the engine behind us. So it's a <laughs> mid-engine truck. And so it, it is like this hideous conglomeration of parts and everything. And the ultimate fail is that it still weighed 3,600 pounds. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and so it was slow. I think we ran 1270s on, like, a 100-shot of nitrous with it. It was a really, really bad idea. Pure insanity. <laughs> but as far as, like, the greatest win in the history of ever, yeah, please. absolutely no question. When we built Stubby Bob, which is our 1954 yes. F6 dump truck. <laughs> so awesome. We shortened the wheelbase. We put a blown big block Chevy behind the cab. And we powered it through a boat V-drive. So the engine is backwards. The <laughs> what? Transmission it's so pointing cool. Forwards. It goes into a V-drive that, by the way, sits right between the driver and the passenger. <laughs> and then we built it thinking maybe this thing will do wheelies. And it turns out that this thing does full-on bumper-dragging wheel stand. It's <laughs> ridiculous. That was the biggest win ever because I just didn't see it coming. You know, I want to know, what do you guys do when the vehicles are done? Because usually it's the actually the warehouse that we're at in Santa Ana. You guys did one episode where you took all the body panels off a of Corvette and you had just the chassis. And yep. somebody parked that in front of our four-wheeler network trailer. And I remember texting you on the weekend because I started it up to move it and it almost caught fire. It started having, <laughs> oh, no. had an electrical fire. And I'm like, hey, uh. Hey, hey, Freiberger, uh, just so you know, here's a picture. I'm sorry I moved the car. <laughs> so it, here is the thing that does make our show very much not like real life, um, is that we do bang these cars out in record time, and whatever happens, happens on video. And after that, the company just rolls them off to a parking lot somewhere, and they get stored, and neither Finnegan nor I see them for literally months. And then we'll come up with an idea going, hey, let's pull out the vet cart again. And <laughs> cart. you've driven it and caught it on fire, and another guy's forklifted it out of the way, and <laughs> someone else stole the carburetor off of it, and we don't even know it until the day we have to start filming. And so, really, Did we find the cars... throttle cable for that lightning. Was we, that in the couch? We may have. Yeah. We, we, David doesn't know this, but we moved the casting couch of the warehouse into our podcast studio. And when we were cleaning, okay. <laughs> you know, the brown one. <laughs> uh -huh. And so it's so nasty. I spent a day vacuuming it and cleaning it, just you know, because it was gross. And we found like a low car throttle cable hidden in the couch cushions. So we were trying to yeah. figure out: Did somebody steal that off of a car and hide it in the couch because they were going to take off with it later, or what? <laughs> oh, probably. You know, we that's another thing that makes our life not that realistic. It's, man, we spend a lot of money on parts we end up not using, which I hate to say, but 
Oh man, hear the like the fart pipe driving by in the background? Yeah, that was awesome. Um, <laughs> sorry, parking lot. You know, we'd make all of our shows in about five days, and unfortunately, we end up overnighting a lot of parts, and often they don't end up getting used. So that's the unrealistic part of Roadkill that people don't really want to hear. Is there's a lot more money in actually making the show than people think. I want to be your FedEx rep. Yeah, right. <laughs> you Someone's really do. Okay. Yeah. Are you ready for my world record overnight shipping bill? Yes. Yes. This is shipping only, twelve hundred bucks. Yep. <laughs> we needed an engine and transmission the next day oh, and made it happen. Man. Wow, twelve hundred yeah. bucks. So, the car got done, I'm sure. Oh yeah. It's, see, that's the thing. It has to. And uh, it would have been funnier, by the way, David. It would have been funnier if you said, "Yeah, we didn't need it. We didn't." Need yeah. it. <laughs> well, that happens. It does. It totally happens. And that is the bummer of TV production that makes it not like real life. We try and keep everything as legit as possible. But when you're out in the middle of a shoot, you've got five days to get it done. You have no option to not finish an episode one way or another. And so you often spend money that a guy wouldn't on his real car. Um, and they can duplicate what they're doing. It's just going to take them more time in order to not spend that kind of money to finish it. Gotcha. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Matt, awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the Truck Show podcast. I mean, it's been, uh, I see you, you know, so I used to see you in the halls all the time, but you're so busy traveling. I'm so busy traveling. I think this is the first time I've talked to you since SEMA. Dude, I literally, I haven't set foot in our office building maybe more than five days since SEMA, yeah. you know, last November. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing. You know what I love about David is you can hear it. I know that you guys listening, the enthusiasm he has for what he does. This guy oh, loves he, it. This he's is the real deal. This is not someone paid to be on camera to no. build cars. This is. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. My life yeah. is ridiculous. All I do is dream up crazy cars and make them happen and hang out with my buddies, which includes the crew. And uh, I, I'm really, really fortunate. That's great. Well, you can see all of his shows, and there's too many to list at this moment, on the Motor, Motor Trend On Demand. Well, like, it's just Motor, Motor Trend. MotorTrend.com right? Motor right? yep. or on the Motor Motor Trend Trend app. Com. And by the way, I found out because my kid was playing Xbox, and I kicked him off, and you're, the app is on Xbox. There you go. So, yeah. So now I'm just... Oh, yeah. You can do Xbox or Roku or Chromecast. I mean, there's all sorts of ways. You can also sign up for us through Amazon. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, so I can use, everywhere. Prime use my Prime member. account. Yes, you can. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> solid, exactly. solid. All right, David, you're the man. Thank you so much for carving out some time. Go back to your pizza joint. Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, man. It, thanks for coming on. And uh, you and I got to get together for a cigar one of these days because it's been okay, too long. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Totally. Th thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Of yeah, let's do it again. Maybe we can actually like talk about trucks and stuff because we've got a couple <laughs> of them. All right. That just means we have to have you back on and we'll talk trucks next time. Okay, cool. Thanks All right, man. Thanks. Thanks, David. Bye. I mean, David Freiberger, right? Solid. Dude, that was awesome. I wonder how many people listening don't know who he is. Because I would imagine there's probably a few. Yeah. Because, I mean, where would you see him? Wait a minute. People would have seen him on the Roadkill episode when uh, Richard Rawlings was yes. going up against Gas him. Monkey Gas and Monkey the guys Rod. from Roadkill. Right. That's where they would. That, yeah, that's where yep. they would know him. Yep. And uh, and if you ever read Hot Rod or Peterson's Four Wheel and Off Road magazines back in the day, you were reading his stuff. Like, you're reading his stuff. Yep. Right, I mean, exactly. a legitimate enthusiast, a guy who's super passionate, and a guy who is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that you know, and they're a, a personality, right? And they're a personality when the microphone's on. They're a personality. When the cameras are rolling, like us, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, We're totally right? Yeah, off absolutely. But uh, <laughs> but Freiberger is the exact same person on camera and off, and I've had the pleasure of knowing him for almost fifteen years now. And 
he's no different. He's the exact same guy you see on camera as you would talk to, you know, not in the office because he's never there. To I want to build a car with him. I want awesome. him to teach me no, stuff that I don't know. What you want him to do is take you to a ghost town out in the desert. That is see, this, yes. Okay. Like, yes. This is yes. what we should do. We need to get Fred and Freiburger on a weekend to go off-roading and take you to a ghost town. Oh, four I would explode. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh, my Lord. Yes. be Please. awesome. Twice. So yeah, we should we should see if we can do it. But we got to have David back on in the future because uh, we he's didn't just talk great... much tr- about trucks. No, it's just so because the stories and the things that he tells you in the backstory that you'd never know otherwise is so interesting. Well, I want to. I also want to find out like what got him. Now I should have asked him all these questions. I want to know what got him into vehicles. Like was yeah. it his dad, his grandfather? Sure. Or just you know, some people just find it on their own, like well, you did. Let them back on. Yeah. Well, can we do it like later tonight? <laughs> can we call him back? Hey, are you done with your pizza? <laughs> <laughs> What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Uh, there we go. All right, <laughs> Mr. Holman, better up. Hey, so uh, we just had the uh, New York Auto Show a couple weeks ago, and so a bunch of news uh, in trucks came out from that. Um, Volkswagen kind of surprised everybody. They've got that new Atlas SUV. Well, they turned it into the Tanoak uh, concept. And it's what the what? A pickup truck. Okay. Um, it's interesting. It's a crew cab pickup midsize based on their Atlas SUV, but it also means it's unibody. So it's kind of like a Honda Ridgeline competitor, which I don't know what the appetite is in the market for more Honda Ridgelines. I don't it's... feel like they sold well. I have yeah, nothing no, they, to they base haven't. that on. No, okay, they, yeah. they haven't. I mean, they're not, right. you know, I think if you're a Honda person, it's a great truck for the Honda person, but for the truck enthusiast, I mean, they're, they I ride great. I don't think so. They're, if I'm a Honda person, the Colorado is a good. Well, yeah. You know I, mean, I, mean, like, I mean, Honda does, there's a lot of innovations in that truck, and yeah. you carry your dirt bikes, and, and it's got the, the, uh, no, the no, truck no, under no, the bed. No, no, because the, no, no, the dirt bike hangs out of the back of the bed. It's not. Nah, it's just, it's not, it's a, it's a, I like to call it a pilot SUT. So it's basically a pilot, a pilot with a bed. SUT, okay. You know, and so the, this Volkswagen concept sort of the same thing. So I don't know if Honda hasn't had a whole lot of success. I mean, I think for Honda, they're happy with the sales. But from the truck standpoint, I mean, they're a tiny, tiny portion of the market. Like, Did Volkswagen do really well with like, the Touareg and all that? I oh, yeah, like... yeah. That's all good. Their SUV line does great. It's just Does, does it? Yeah. Here in the States? Yeah, it does. Okay, all right. But it's just like- I just don't- I see so few of them. And we're in the car capital of the world. I, I feel like I don't- yeah. I feel like I see more Cayenne. Well, and now Porsches. you'll be driving home and everything you see will be a Volkswagen SUV because you'll be paying attention <laughs> yeah, now, right? So, okay. They're out there. Um, also, GMC just released their all-new Sierra AT4. So based on the brand new uh, body style, the 2019 Sierra- this is the GMC equivalent to the Chevy Silverado Trail Boss. So it's got two-inch lift, 32s. It's pretty cool. Uh, it also has that awesome GMC tailgate that we were talking about before. So on episode three, I think we talked about uh, the tailgate at length. It's the Denali, right? The Denali tailgate? Yeah, right. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And the thing is like, I, I was going to say erector set, but we're, that's like if you're an, a 70-year-old, you know what <laughs> yeah. an erector set is. It's like a transformer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real. Cool. It's, the, it's the real deal Holyfield. And talking to this developer, what, what did you say his title was? He's the actual chief engineer of all of the GM trucks. So GM heavy duty, GM light duty, Holy as well as the SUVs. And he's coming one. on our podcast. Yeah, so so Tim Herrick, big, big guy within the uh, you know the walls of GMC. I believe that the value of the products that he's responsible for at GM are something like $65 billion. 
That's excuse me. Yeah, that's the revenue that that guy is responsible <laughs> for. So he's a he's a big player, and he's like, yeah, I'll come on. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, not too busy? Hey, Should wait, you be making talk, money for General Motors? Don't talk him out of okay, it. No, 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 no. Yeah, so, okay. so he'll be on in a couple episodes. But the other cool <laughs> thing about the uh, Sierra AT4 is it's got Rancho shocks, but they're monotube shocks. Gotcha. So the fact that they're putting those on the AT4 means that they're really starting to get serious. Not only do you have that, but then you have the Multimatics that are on the Colorado ZR2, which is a whole other level of shock that we've talked about before. Um, but yeah, the general's getting getting busy, getting uh, serious about off roading. So um, anyway, very cool truck. So anyway, there's a there's a big work truck show that's in Indy every year, and that happened uh, also a couple weeks ago. India, uh, Indy, oh, Indianapolis, India. <laughs> <laughs> here in the U.S. Okay, All right. and uh, one of the cool trucks came out of there is Nissan made this Project Titan called the Smoking Titan. Smoking Titan, and okay. it's a uh, Marlboro owned vehicle. Nope, it's okay. an extended cab Titan. That has a uh, flat bed on the back, like a custom polished aluminum or stainless steel bed, towing a Titan bed behind it, but it's outfitted for barbecuing, like smoking (laughs) meat stuff. Oh, nice. And I'm actually going uh, on a trip with Nissan where I've been invited, because I'm a huge foodie and I love cooking and I'll put my brisket Wouldn't against anybody. Wouldn't have by your belly. Well, you know, you don't, you don't get this body by not eating, my friend. <laughs> Nissan invited me out to put my brisket up against other journalists. So every journalist gets a different protein. And then we're having people from the culinary world, and I think some people who are on like the uh, Food Network are, are actually judging it. And so we're going to use the Smoking Titan and uh, go smoke meat somewhere in the, the mountains of Tennessee. So that should be wow. pretty fun. Wow. What's that? Uh, turn your turn your laptop sideways. What do I spy there? What is that? It looks like a Hummer, but it's not. I can't see it from here. What is that? Yeah. So what's cool about this is uh, this is the all new 2019 Jeep Scrambler. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Well, it's a rendering. Oh, so, I was gonna say I didn't yeah. know that. That okay. So there's a nobody's seen the real thing yet, and it's actually on a forum called JeepScramblerForum.com, and we put them up on TruckTrend.com. Uh, we got permission to post their photos. Uh, somebody went through and rendered out what they think the truck will look like. It looks pretty badass. If it really turns out like that, yeah, I'm in. All right, I'm so in. we'll we'll put it up on our socials because I think it's worth looking at. Um, but but very cool. I I'm excited about it. It's it's gonna be a cool truck. Jeep Scrambler. Yeah. Mm. Hello. Yo, hey, Chris. Chris. What's up, boys? Yo, hey, it's uh, Lightning and Holman from the Truck Show Podcast. How What's you up, do, man? Good guys. How are you? Good, good. So we have on the phone Chris Payne, a.k.a. Truck Guru. Uh, before we talk, though, Chris, I'm sorry, we have to play an intro. Here we go. Innovator, moderator, truck show. Innovator, moderator, truck show. Innovator, moderator, truck show. Innovator, moderator, truck show. <laughs> See, because, because, Chris, you're an innovator. Because you've made a business at what people said couldn't, couldn't be a business, which is making show vehicles. And I wanted to get you on the phone because people are asking all the time, how do I get sponsorship? I want either free parts or I have this crazy build and the magazines are going to want to write about it and I'm going to blog and I'm going to get on TV and blah, 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 blah. But before we answer all those questions, I wanted you to tell us how you got started and you started calling yourself Truck Guru. And I like some backstory, Chris. All right. Well, uh, here we go. Buckle your uh, seatbelts and let's get this party started. <laughs> Hold on. We need to so, see if uh, uh, Lightning has a click noise as no, on his little uh, sound effects. Now I have a golf swing. All right. Now that's not going to be. Should that be our, bu- our buckle in as the golf swing? No, I have. I think we need something. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. We're going to crash. No, I don't have Attention. That. Attention, everybody. 
So really, uh, you know, I've been uh, passionate about automobiles my, my whole life. My dad was uh, the shop teacher at our high school. and uh, No, wait, is that true? Weekend, wait, wait, stop. Yeah. Is that true? Absolutely. And absolutely. did you it have him? Did you, were you, did, were you in his class? Absolutely. Dude, that's, no! He, he, that's awesome, he would, dude. He would smack me upside the head. He would, I mean, in the middle of class, you know, you're not supposed to hit the students, but he was my dad. And I love it. Whatever the hell he wanted. So yeah, I gotta, I have to tell you, I have a, I have a soft spot for uh, shop teachers because uh, my shop teacher, Mr. Sprang is, I kind of was always into automotive. This is Holman, by the way. But my parents weren't car people. And so I didn't really have a mentor in the car world to really express my my uh, passions until I went to high school and met Mr. Sprang my freshman year and ended up being with him all four years. He uh, recently passed away, but huge mentor in my life. And I wouldn't be able to do the things I do today without his support, without the shop, without vocations out there. And so I, I got a lot of mad respect for your dad just because my own personal experience allowed me to go on this path. So I just have to say that Absolutely. for all the people out there who also were the shop kids in auto shop, wood shop, whatever, who found their passions through through teachers and educators. And it's like amazing. you, there's so many screw-offs in those classes. Absolutely. Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to take auto shop and screw <laughs> off. By the way, my auto shop teacher was the worst ever. All we did were watch how-to movies all day, every day. How many fingers did he have? Dude, I don't even, I don't know. I would say from the 1970s, but they were new back then. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. Wow. What a dick. See, I'm not the only one who calls you out on your age. Lightning just turned 60, so, you I'm know. I'm not 60. Subtract, Damn, like, boy. two and a half decades from that. There you go. So, well, yeah, we, well, we both have respect for your dad. We I'm sure he give you a start calling crap. him glass or something. What does lightning turn into? Oh. <laughs> That's fine. I'll start making fun of your cowboy boots. There. I, I know go. what he turns into. He turns into a dick sometimes. <laughs> there we go. All right. So, so uh, Chris, yeah, yeah your dad is shop teacher. Screen. Yeah, he was the shop teacher. I mean, I've been passionate my whole life. I mean, on the weekends, uh, by by force at first, you know, we'd be out there turning wrenches with my dad in the, in the garage, pushing cars around the driveways and kind of doing that whole thing. And it kind of, I guess, sparked an interest in me. You know, I, I think uh, one of his cars that, really got me into it was his 68 rsss all original camaro um i think just just the body lines on it just i mean it was made of metal not like the cars nowadays uh, sexy car but, i mean it was just absolutely it was just a gorgeous car and kind of stuck with me and then uh as i got older i started to get passionate and of course when i could afford my own vehicle i started to uh tinker a little bit here and there and um when i started to get into cars it was the fast and the furious phase and craze and uh of course, I went through that. And uh, did you did you buy like an every, did you buy an import? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I had little Hondas, and I had. Uh, Dude, we talked about know, this a couple of episodes yes, ago because did. somebody brought up the, and I'm like, they brought up a Hatchy, right? And I'm like, dude, it was a Hatchy with CRXSI. Did it yeah. have a B18 oh. in it? Oh, dude, absolutely, dude. It's I knew it. it <laughs> All of us truck guys sort of go down to like the the uh, import car, uh, at least the guys our age, right? Like we kind of got we into don't trucks. Like to remember that, right? Yeah, exactly. But we all kind of started in trucks, and then we went, oh, this is cool. Went to the imports. Went, I'm tired of going over speed bumps slow. I'm going back to trucks. Exactly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it it was fun. I mean, like I said, the little Ricky race craze that we went through high school, you know, Fast and the Furious stuff where everybody, you know, you're shifting gears and, and, and just having a good time. But, you know, that that quickly faded out for me. And uh, I bought my first big truck and it, it was a Toyota Tundra. And that's kind of how I got started. Uh, I was known as Tundra Chris at the beginning. I got no. I, that's I got so much better by, than Lightning, uh, by the way. <laughs> that's a way better nickname. What, why are you tearing me apart on this show? What did I do? I'm trying to interview <laughs> hey, our, still, our we guests. We still love you, buddy. We still love you. <laughs> At the end of the day, I mean, um, I mean, I, I got into the trucks. The Toyota Tundra was my first big 
purchase. It was a $40,000 truck for a 19-year-old kid, so I wasn't doing too bad. Dang. It was a new new body style, and I, I you know, kind of went for broke. And, you know, when you first build a vehicle, um, especially for your first time, it's a good idea to kind of go at your own pace and kind of uh, do it with your own money. I didn't really reach out to any sponsors, didn't do any of that stuff. I, I kind of just said, you know what, I know what I like. I know what I want. I just started building it, and uh, from there it kind of. Uh, well, wait a minute. I, I got. I got to pause you. Hold on a second. You have a day job at this point, right? I mean, because you don't oh, just. You had forty. Correct. You had. You didn't have forty k, right? So you financed it, or what'd you do? Yeah, obviously, I, at that point, you know, I wasn't as uh, fortunate as I am now, and I did work. I mean, I've I've worked in the oil fields for the past twelve years now, and uh, that's kind of been my bread and butter as far as uh, income goes. And uh, the car thing was a hobby, but as of late, I mean, my hobby turned into my. My career, so which uh, is awesome, right? They say if you, you know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And exactly, and I, you know, it gets stressful sometimes, and I, and I feel, I feel the the burden of, of the stress. But other than that, I mean, I absolutely love what I do. Well, and I think you, when you started, obviously your stuff has been on the cover of all my magazines, right? So Eight Lug and Truckin, and you, you, you've graced our covers a gazillion times, and with your <laughs> yeah. with your builds. But I think that you sort of brought to the table an aesthetic that was very much you. It's, I think it's very copied now, but when you yeah. started, I, I think that nobody was really doing the high-end show truck with a crazy lift, huge wheels, low-profile t- profile tires that were still 40 inches or whatever, and you kind of brought that aesthetic to the scene at SEMA and, and made you know things things that people talk about, whether they liked it or not, they were polarizing. When, when Chris... Bolted the uh, the side by side up on top of yes. was it a, was it a it was a ram it was wasn't a, it yeah but then he bolted a, a jeep on top I, of I, it yeah, after I, the, I don't know I just, wait well was the jeep first or was it the side by side I actually had golf carts up there before I did before I did all that but the jeep was the the one that was my statement that I said you know what I'm coming for every big dog in the game and <laughs> I kind of I kind of wanted to set a precedent you know with a what twofer. I do and. It's, no, so funny. No, it's so funny. It's so funny because the the the, uh, the golf cart sounds so le- so low rent. Yeah, by so the way. lame. He's like, like, no, I'm a kid. You know, so I'm gonna try something. I have a hundred thousand dollar truck that now has a fifty thousand dollar Jeep in the bed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was just something that was wild and crazy. And yeah, I mean, I've I've been blessed enough to work with you guys and get a bunch of these covers and stuff. But I mean, just like like uh, Jay said, you know, Lightning. Um, I want to be innovative. You know what I mean? It's uh, just bringing that to the game. I don't really follow anybody else's trends. I set my own, and that's kind of just like us at the uh, Truck Show Podcast. (laughs) It's kind of what's helped it out. You know, I mean, I I don't really care what others think of my builds. If they like them, that's cool. I've I've learned a long, long time ago that not everybody's going to love what you do, and you can never please everybody, especially in this industry. Yeah. And no matter what, you're going to have haters. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm sure they've got a mouthful to say about me. So. What, um, what was Chris? What was the first big build that you did that with the light bulb went on and said, "I, I can do this." Like I'm going to go from just it's a hobby to like I actually think I might be able to make a business of this. Well, when I it was actually now that we're talking about it, it was the Ram with the Jeep on top. You know, oh, I really? said, you know what I'm going to go for? I'm going to go for broke on this. And uh, as I was doing it, I was uh, helping quite a few other people get their uh, their dreams of SEMA accomplished. And um, I said, you know what? Why am I doing this for free? Like what? what there's, there's nothing in it for me other than the satisfaction that I'm helping others, which I still do. But, I mean, now it's my, my business. It's what I do. I help people, and I, and I go above and beyond. I do so many things um, when it comes to project management, design, product allocation, promotion, marketing, just so many different aspects of the industry. I do it all. Even I even build, too. So, I mean, it's a little bit of everything, and it's all rolled into one, and I've, I've made a pretty good go at it so far, and uh, it seems this year, um, 
judging by my spreadsheets and my stack of clients here that uh, I'm going to have another good year. Yeah, you are. We're going to get to it in a second. I, I want to take the photo, Holman, of the uh, of the Ram and the Jeep and put it on our socials, right? Yeah, At well, Truck absolutely. Show Podcast, right? So on Instagram, Truck Show Podcast. And by the way, uh, you can follow along and see what Chris is doing at, at truckguru underscore designs. So it's yeah. at Truck Guru underscore designs or truckguru.co is a is another site that his my website yeah yeah and then I have I have my my big Instagram is uh, truck underscore guru and and I would say really quick you know while we're on the topic of the the Jeep on the Ram I think what makes that so success, successful is not only that it is you know jaw dropping when you see it right I mean it ends up being probably. 12, 15 feet tall when they're stacked <laughs> together. But it's, it's it's the vehicle that every kid who sees it stops and smiles. And, and even the kid and all of us, you agree with the build, you don't agree with the build, whatever. The fact that you stop there and stare at it is enough. And I honestly think that it's the... It's the Michael Knight from Knight Rider and all of us where Kit pulls out of the tractor trailer on the road and then goes does his thing. It's like you have these visions of just rolling the Jeep off at speed and then going off in the desert That's while the true. ram continues yeah, on. I you had know? those visions, but I promise you it was scary enough to do it when it was standing still. <laughs> but, I mean, hey, it's marketing at its finest, man. It's getting people to turn their heads and look and engage and – and, you know, that's what I'm here for. And how did you establish the connections originally when you got into this? Because at first you were buying parts and all that. How did it – how did you write your first proposal? Let's get into this sponsorship. It, 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 was, a, it was a lot of work, man. Um, if, if, if I had a mentor, it would be Roland Trudell. He's, he was the founder of RBP back in the day. He was the uh, the guy who kind of found me. He was the guy that saw me. I, I went and purchased a bunch of RBP parts for my truck. And I was promoting and marketing and, and going to all these shows and events and just cruising down the beach in Pismo and everybody. And I had RBP plastered up the side. And again, this was all in my own dollar. And uh, everybody started to take note and more and more people started to call RBP. And he's like, hey, how'd you hear about us? And they're like, this guy in this black tundra, this guy on YouTube. <laughs> and, this guy, and, and, and he was like, who the hell is this guy? So, you know, he took it upon himself to track me down. He, he got a hold of me. and I thought it was a total joke. He calls me up. He's like, hey, what's up, uh, Chris? Um, I'm like, who is this? He's like, this is Roland Trudell, the uh, owner of RBP. And I'm like, shut up, quit playing. And uh, he's no, like, no, tell, man, tell, tell me you hung up on him. Yeah, right. Well, I, I literally was in disbelief. He's like, he's like, for real, man, uh, who are you? Like, you know, tell me a little bit about you. And I, he started saying, well, why are you running my products and pushing my products so much? And I said, you know what, man, you, you make a solid product. I really love it. You know, uh, I'm glad that you catered to the Toyota, you know, at the time and um, when the diesels were really big and, um, Pretty much, we got to talking, and from there, we sparked up a friendship, which we're still friends to this day. We talk all the time. He kind of gave me the uh, courage to go out there and, and, and give me the advice that I would need. He'd tell me, hey, you're, you're screwing up, or you're, you're doing right. Keep going, doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, without him, I really don't think that I would have continued doing what I was doing. Those guys were big pranksters back in the day, too. When they first hit the scene, probably in the early 2000s, I remember we were at a truck and national show in Vegas, and uh, they were a sponsor. And it was like one of the, the, you know, the first times where RBP was out and a sponsor. And um, I'll never forget, they found our trucks in the, the truck and project vehicles in the hotel parking lot. It was a, a parking structure uh, up uh, beyond, behind Fremont Street and completely freaking plastered our vehicles with RBP stickers. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean like dozens of RBP on the door jams over the, over oh, the door no. handles. That, that sounds like old rolling. Oh, right? yeah. Man, I'll tell you what. I'm sure they were hiding somewhere laughing at us as we were trying to take uh, take stickers off our vehicles. So listen, so how, yeah. do you, so how do you connect the dots? This is where I wanted to kind of give some schooling to some of the younger guys that are out there listening going, I've, I want to get free parts. I think I can do it. 
A, how realistic is it and what does it take? Are you are you creating – kind of give me the condensed version of how you would go about it or do you advise people to not do it? Well, you know what? I mean it, it's always something that's going to take a lot of work. I'll tell you that right now. Um, this is not something that those of us who do this year after year um, just make a phone call and it's done. We've worked hard to get where we're at. We've taken the necessary steps to get to where we're at and you know, we, we follow the rules and we go above and beyond. My motto in my business is to uh, under-promise and over-deliver always. So, I mean, what I like to do, you know, I give advice to others, obviously, but um, people come to me for my assistance and my aid for what I do with my project management. Um, you know, again, it's a one-stop shop for design all the way to the implementation of the build at the shows and events. Um, but, you know, you got to come correct with these guys, man. Um, it's something that a lot of a lot of manufacturers who are friends of mine who own companies and who are the top man- marketing people at those companies um there's a lot of people they come and and their grammar's correct they're spelling sponsorship wrong and i mean you have one shot with these guys do not blow it doing something stupid right away i've seen guys where they come and they email people and they cc you know manufacturers who are in competition with one another and i'm like i put my face you know my my palm on my head and go what the hell you know and i'm just like are you kidding me? Or you really can't be this naive, you know? So yeah. you have to do the right things to build the relationships first before you even go down the road of sponsorship. You need to put some sweat equity in. You need to get with builders. You need to help build trucks. You need to, you know, put put your work into it to prove that you're not a scammer. That this that this is and, unless your daddy owns a company, you got to put in the work to, to, to get somewhere. You're, you're never going to be a boss. If you if you don't start at the bottom and do and all you the did tests, it right, I mean you started absolutely. at the bottom and look where you are now. You're not now he's on top. It, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's now he's. It not, literally took me you know a good solid ten years to get to where I'm at. You know what I mean? And, and you're not going to let some new kid come in and just you know eat your lunch, right? Like you got to no, earn it. I mean, got to earn it. No, absolutely. And and I want people to do things the right way. And my whole you know motive for what I do every single day is to promote growth in our industry and longevity, um, cross promotions of brands. I want to make sure that these companies stay around and they're thriving. Um, that's my goal in this industry. I don't, you know, and to me, I don't look at anybody as competition except for myself. When I look at myself in the mirror, I, I don't care what anybody else is doing. Um, I don't lose sleep at night about what the other guys are doing or what people are saying. Um, you know, yeah, I could get to a guy, but you got to have tough skin in this industry. You got to know uh, when to hold them, when to fold them. And I mean, I could have quit a lot of times. There was a lot of things. Like I said, man, everybody has haters for one reason or another, or it could be for nothing. You know, there's a lot of times where I had guys out there trying to poach my name and my brand for, for no reason other than jealousy. And, you know, you, you can't let it stop you. You can't let it define you. You got to keep pushing forward. And uh, there's no sense in looking backwards when you're, you know, you're in first place. So, I mean, my, my thing is, I love what I do, and uh, I want everybody to succeed because it's just going to make me elevate my game that much further. Something you said that really sticks out with me, this is lightning, you under-promise and over-deliver, and that people violate that all the time. They say, oh, oh I'm going – they'll tell you I'm going to do 25 uh, shows this year, and I've, and I've got a magazine cover. And if they Bull- – <laughs> I know that because we. I'm sitting with one of the you know one of the editors of m- most of the major magazines, and, yeah. and if he doesn't know about it, it ain't happening. And it's bizarre. Like you, you have to say you have to be realistic, um, and start small. Like I want a you don't. I mean, a proposal, uh, like you said before, a proposal is is your bread and butter, especially when you're first starting. You got to come with references, past experience, past builds, shows that you plan on attending. 
um, with dates, cities, things like that. I mean, if you're new, like I said, you got to come correct. You can't come without a rendering, without a full uh, proposal for your project, your build. There, there's a lot of signs in the industry that a lot of these, these you know, manufacturing companies, marketing agencies are looking for. And trust me, they vet their people. When, when a guy says, hey, I'm sponsored by American Force, little do they know that company that you're contacting is friends with the guy over at American Force. And guess what? But he's going to ask. So if you're bull****, I promise you he's going to know about it. You offer these services. So people are listening right now going, okay, they're talking about proposals and talking about renderings. I don't even know where to begin. Like, I see all these cool renderings in magazines. I don't know where to get one. I have no clue how to write a proposal that will read well. Well, lo and behold, truck guru Chris Payne (laughs) does this for a living. So I'd like you to tell me the type of client you're looking for because – you are fortunate enough now, Chris, to, to actually be able to not accept work. Like, you're not going to take Absolutely. a bill. So I'd like you to tell me the what is the type of person, and you can be honest. I want you to say you need to have X amount of dollars or I can't really no, help absolutely. you. Absolutely. And, right. you know, trust me, I'm not one to hold my tongue. If anybody knows me out there, they know that I, I'll tell it like it is. So, I mean, to be honest with you, um, you spoke on it. It's just one of those things. I look for people, when I vet people for what I do in my industry, I want to make sure that they they check my checklist and uh, I have a nice lengthy checklist. So just to condense it a little bit, but budget seems to be one of the biggest things. I don't want a product whore. I don't want somebody who wants to do this so they can put as much on their truck as they can. And then they want to turn around and sell it for a profit because that doesn't do good for the manufacturer. And it doesn't do good for me because at the end of the day, the product companies will give it away all day long. It doesn't matter. But the way I look at it is that product is money. And they're giving you their money, their hard-earned money. And if, if you or this person are not able to give them at least three times a return or put it in front of people, believe it or not, social media is a great tool. Um, the way I look at it, every single sponsor, they may not buy that product, but they're worth at least one to six cents per, per follower because they may buy it now. They may buy it later. They may not buy it at all. Their friend might buy it. They may tell their buddy about it. But sooner or later, you're going to get sales from that. So if you can't, put it in front of these people, you don't have a budget, and all you care about is free, 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 this is not the, the place to be because I promise you, not not only myself, but everybody else in this industry is going to say the same things. Um, you know, stay away from this guy. He's All he wants is to make a quick buck. A lot of people, they're in it for the free stuff, and that is not what this industry, and that, that is not what sponsorship's about. In fact, I hate the freaking word sponsorship. With me, it's a partnership between my brand and a company. So, I mean, we become friends. We're friends. Every one of my manufacturer partners that I deal with, we're friends. We talk to each other on the phone, you know, for hours on end. I mean, we conversations fluid. I mean, we know what we we need to do with one another. We don't disappoint, and that's kind of how I do my relationships with my my clients and my manufacturers. Chris and I have champagne brunch. Yeah, every, I bet every Sunday. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you the distinction that Chris just made between partnership and sponsorship is meaningful for a couple reasons. Uh, number one. Chris, you talked about just putting a bunch of crap on your car, uh, or not even crap, just just a sheer volume of product. Because as you know, not only do some products not work together, some brands don't work together. And for somebody who's going to go out there and just throw everything on their vehicle, the problem is because they can. Yeah. Because they can, it's not helping the marketing message if there are people competing, or if there's politics behind it, or if the two parts physically don't work. So you had to modify one or both of the parts to get both of them on there. Now it's not doing the manufacturer any good because it's not a no, bolt-on product. because it's not their original product. Yeah. I mean, and they, they get the whole color swapping and things like that. But when you, like you said, when they're going and they're actually physically modifying them, that presents a little bit of a problem because you took away the integrity of their product. And 
exactly. Not theirs anymore. Well, and the other thing that bothers me, being from the magazine side, is I absolutely hey, listen. We're in, we're in contact with manufacturers all the time. We you know advertisers or friends or or whatever the case may be. And the thing that bothers me, and I actually just went through this last week, and it still happens all the time, is when somebody comes to you and they say, "Hey, listen." Um, I've got this build. Here's the thing. I'm working with this company. Will you feature it on the cover? And we don't fe- We do not promise covers. So anybody out there who's ever no, said, no, trust me, you don't. No, <laughs> we will you tell know. you. We will follow the build. We won't do the third party build because I don't have control over a third party build. But we'll watch it and see it progress. If it shows up the way the rendering says it will, and we like it, then we'll. If it makes sense, if it's relevant, if it makes sense for the scene, the the industry, we'll put it on the cover. But the reality is, I'm not going to promise a cover. None of my guys are going to promise cover. And the thing that really irks me is when somebody goes to a manufacturer and says, oh, I just talked to four-wheeler, I just talked to truck, and they're going to do this. And they call us, I'm like, that's not the conversation we had, by the way. Here's the email thread. So to use me or my guys or my brands as leverage for your, you know, um, you, you never want to bait somebody against somebody else. That's a ever. big no-no in this industry, too. Because like I said yeah. before, people talk and people know each totally. other. You know, you know these companies. These companies know you. These companies know one another. Do um, not go if, on the scamtastic voyage is what we call exactly. it, right? No. <laughs> and by the way, a lot of, there's, only there's, 12, a lot of there's only 12 covers of trucking. You know what I'm saying? 13. Okay, so sorry, 13, <laughs> whatever. So they can only be well, 13. Actually, there, there's more because yeah, they're uh, the subscriber and uh, okay, yeah. right, so 20, right. Listen, 26. Guys, just go with me. I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> Christ. We're professionals here. Yeah, we're trying, to, we're trying to keep you honest, Lightning. We're trying to keep you honest. Uh, I got it. I got it. So the bottom line is the takeaway, which I don't think we've gotten to here, is that, Chris, you're looking, you're looking for someone that comes to you with a vehicle. So they're going to say, I've got a 2018 XYZ vehicle, right? And... I would like to outfit this. Can you can you help me? And it, 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 they have to say I'm willing to spend ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars at the end. So they're they're going to say all in, Chris. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the truck and twenty five thousand dollars, and hopefully they're it, it'll be worth one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars when they're done. That's the hope. But like, what does that look like financially? Well, we don't care about the what it, what it's worth. We want to know what the exposure level is going to be. Right? I understand like, that. No, but but listen, listen. I'm I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who's building a vehicle, who's well, coming I mean, to Chris as a client, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. There's there's things that I look for. Like I said, I vet people. Um, I typically like things. I mean, unless it's a stupendous thing that it's just. Oh, I mean, gets me. You know, gets me there. You know what I'm saying? Um, if if it's not. I, I like things that are three years old of the current year or newer. I usually like the current body styles um, because companies like to promote and market the latest and greatest. They don't really like to go backwards. Um, you know, they got to have that budget, you know, whether it's 10,000, it just depends on them. You know, it's kind of like when you go to a buffet, your eyes and your stomach don't always line up. Well, that's definitely true for, for both Holman and I. That's that's for damn sure. Hey, well, I mean, your, your, your dreams and your wallet don't always, you know, do the same thing either. So, I mean, what I do is I'll talk to them and I'll say, Hey, you know what? My goal for you is to, I want to save you the most amount of money. So this is the route that if I was in your shoes and these are the things that you want, this is the route that I would go. And I'll offer them certain products and certain manufacturers. I'll push those onto them saying, Hey, this is your best deal. This is your, for what you want and you need, this is what you need to do. And I also hold them to it. I have an actual contract with my clients that, you know, holds them to an agreement and it protects myself and it protects the manufacturer and it even protects them. I don't want to screw them over and I certainly don't want them screwing my partners over or myself. So 
I mean, like I said, there's 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 a nice vetting process that I go through. I don't just take on every Tom, Dick, and Harry that calls me up and says, hey, Chris, I got money. I want to do a SEMA build. I don't care. Let's talk. Gotcha. Last question for you, Chris. What can we see at SEMA? Because I know you're working on, I heard the number was 18 builds. Is that true? What? That's uh, that's too little. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> what? Right, right now, we have a solid 27 confirmed. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's me sometimes. Oh, man. Um, Dude, one what, car is hard. I've been willing one truck for SEMA for four years. You have been working on speed bump forever. Yeah. Your bump side. Yep. How? I Why? Mean, these, these manufacturers, they trust us to uh, to do what we do. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have these great relationships with these guys and Year after year, they come back and say, hey, Chris, you know, we want X amount. And, you know, I love the repeat business year after year because that tells me that we did, in fact, do a good job. Um, you know, we do the things for these companies that other guys don't. Um, like I said, I have a really great relationship with a lot of these publications. Um, I work very well with these guys hand in hand. Um, I do what it takes to, to have those part- partnerships maintained. And that's a good thing for, for companies and manufacturers. Um, you know, photographs, uh, social media content. Um, my contract shows and events. These are some of the things that I do to ensure the longevity of my relationship. But you're not answering my question, Mister. Which is, give me some dirt. Give. What are we well, going to see? What do you? What truck are you stacking on top of a, a, a Volkswagen Beetle? He's actually. What, well, doing that doesn't this, even make sense. He's doing the space do shuttle on top of uh, the Enterprise <laughs> well, or something. We've got quite a few builds, a variety of things. Um, this year, it seems that the new JL is going to be a pretty hot build. This year. Um, what? Course, <laughs> yeah, what? We've had of a lot course. of those. Yeah, questions. a lot of those. We're doing in. the jail drinking game. So uh, if you're playing at home right now, Chris, go ahead and take a swig. <laughs> yeah. um, we're going to see a lot of Fords. We're going to see a lot of jails. I got plenty of GMs, but again, they're 2017 um, models. So, I mean, we have everything. And yes, I am stacking shit on top of shit. So, <laughs> I, I, th- I think my good friends over at Truck and Magazine called that the truck guru signature style. Uh, quite quite so, possibly. I, I just want to know, you know, if you're doing the 2017 GMs, uh, I want to know how you're going to top yourself. Because it seems like, you know, everything you think has been done. I'm guessing that you don't feel like you're at the end of the line. But from us, an audience <laughs> standpoint, we're like, how could you do anything better than X, right? And, uh, and You know, I think of that every single year. It's really, really hard to outdo myself. And like I said, my competition's only myself. And, I mean, after stacking the freaking Jeep on top of the Ram, I'm like, dude, I screwed up. <laughs> Why did I do that? Uh, I should have should have saved this in my back pocket. But I mean, if everything works out, I'm going to be doing that again. Uh, you know, sometime in the near future, um, vehicle on vehicle action, creating little vehicle babies. Um, <laughs> and what we can expect to see the secret sauce is. I'm I'm hoping for the uh, brand new Kodiak. Oh yeah, Ooh. that's the so. A couple episodes ago, I, we were talking to uh, to our friend Lightning here, who was yes. asking about the whole medium duty heavy dude, and I was trying to explain to him the new 4500, 5500 Silverados. And- I want me some Kodiak. <laughs> Bad. Oh, me too, man. Me Bad. too. I mean, my my son's really big into Transformers, and yep. if I brought home the real life Ironhide, I think he'd lose his mind. Well, you need to put uh, you need to put some sort of a barrier or ropes around it to keep uh, Lightning from it at SEMA because I don't want dude, it ruined. I'm gonna rub my crotch all <laughs> over my <laughs> truck, I have dude. My very own Lightning Lightning in the driveway. I got the Lightning. McQueen building the driveway. Oh, yes. nice. Oh, by the way, you guys oh, got to go on the social. This yeah. is Lightning McQueen. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty damn cool. All right, listen, you are the man. Congratulations on the success. And if you do have a question about a partnership with a build, 
um, or you, you've got you've always wanted to build your dream truck, reach out to reach out to truck guru Chris Payne, and he'll uh, and he'll he'll give you the honest. It can be done or it can't be done, and, and guide you. Or down it the can't way. be done with you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you guys. I mean, I'm I'm here. I uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, have me on the podcast. Thanks, brother. Yeah, we definitely need to catch up uh, either right before or right after SEMA. Awesome. Looking forward to it, boys. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. See ya. Later. Later, guys. So I feel like we had a good show. How do you feel about it? Oh, man. We had uh, AV. We had David Freiberger from Roadkill. And we had Chris Payne. I mean, that's a great uh, that's a great group. Full of heroes, man. Church oh, Podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. The, the Truck, truck Show. Whoa, whoa. We'll talk about you on the air. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't don't forget. Share with your friends, please, because we want this to go on. And if you're listening, you do, too. Please. Don't beg. It sounds like begging, doesn't yeah, it? it? sounds like you're begging. Yeah. I'm just, I, I like to think of it as convincing. It wasn't convincing. You're no? not convincing. Oh, man. How do we get people to do that? To give us reviews? We have, we have almost 1,000 listeners already. Where they, are you I guys? I think they just have to want to do it on their own. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I got it. It's the presumptive close. Thanks, guys, for, for giving us a five-star review. Really appreciate it. And thanks for all the emails that you are going to send us at <laughs> truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. That's what it is. That is works. that what it is? It's presumptive all close. Right. Yeah. Let's, let's get out of here. Okay, goodbye. <laughs>